Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Hey everybody, this is Jim Jansen. Welcome to the EquipCast. As we get started here, I should note, for those of you, if I sound a little distant, it's because I am. Uh, I'm not sad. I'm actually recording from home today. I'm uh, quarantining safely with my family. After an exposure to COVID-19, we're all feeling fine. But if I sound a little bit distant, it's because I am. I'm not able to be present in the studio today. All right. You have stumbled across the EquipCast. It is a podcast of the Archdiocese of Omaha here to equip the parish and, and school leaders really to help foster an encounter with, with Jesus Christ and to help equip those of you uh, on the ground and, and in the field in our parishes and our schools. If you like what you hear today and you would want to continue hearing from us, you can subscribe to the podcast. We're on all the major platforms, Apple, Google, Stitcher. Just search for EquipCast, uh, all one word, on your preferred podcasting platform. And you can also continue the conversation by subscribing to our blog at equip.archomaha.org. You'll find resources, articles, blogs, and some show notes for today about all the things we talk about. There's going to be some cool resources attached in for the show notes for today. And you can change the conversation. We've got a place for you to add comments or uh, replies, and we would love to hear your thoughts about our discussion, particularly today. We're going to be talking about conversion engines. My name is Jim Jansen. I am the Director of the Office of Evangelization and Catechesis for the Archdiocese of Omaha, and my co-host, Father Jeff Lorig, is still on vacation. So I am joined uh, by my friend and co-worker, uh, Mr. Andy Daka. Andy is the coordinator of parish evangelization uh, for the Archdiocese of Omaha. How are you doing today, Andy? Doing really good. I'm so excited for this conversation, especially because I think it's really at the heart of my own calling and, and ministry. Uh, it's really, mm-hmm. it was really my, my experience in, in my parish growing up in, here in the Archdiocese where I've, I've never felt like I heard a compelling presentation of the gospel that, mm. that transformed my life. Um, and it, it wasn't until I got, I went to college at University of Nebraska-Lincoln, where there were some Protestant missionaries that, that ministered to me. And, and just by the witness of their life and the way that they preached the gospel and had Bible studies, where I came to that, I came to that faith and had a conversion in my life. So I, I came back to the church through uh, Focus, the Fellowship of Catholic University students, and served at Northwestern University for two years. And as I was ending my second year, I felt a real call from the Lord to enter parish life and to bring mm-hmm. what I had been learning into parishes because I, I experienced that in my own life, that that was, that that was lacking. Why, did, why was it that I, growing up in the Catholic church, didn't hear this compelling proclamation of the gospel? Why was mm-hmm. it that I had to, that the Lord had to bring me out of the Catholic church to be preached to by, by Protestant missionaries in order for me to have that conversion? Uh, so that was really at the heart of my wrestling. From there, from Focus, I ended up in Seattle at a, at a parish doing young adult ministry and working as a coordinator for evangelization for that parish and trying to bridge the gap between what I had been learning in Focus and parish life. So that's where I was introduced to different 
tools that are often used for conversion engines like like Alpha and Discovering Christ. And I had experience building a team, um, a team of missionaries out there and creating structures for proclaiming the gospel. I feel like I, that was really where I learned kind of the ins and outs of, of how these conversion engines can renew the life of a parish by transforming lives. So I, I'm just so excited for this conversation. And Andy, you're, you're too modest to say it, but you, you ran the largest alpha program in the state of Seattle. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. At the time, it was just, alpha was just catching on in the Catholic church out in mm-hmm. Washington. It had started in a couple Anglican churches, or it was already running, and our parish had received a convert from uh, one of these Anglican churches who was formed in Alpha, and so he and I partnered. And so I was, I was, I was trained by him. I was trained by this other church and and how to run Alpha. You know, Andy, I appreciate your telling your story. I mean, we met in in college uh, mm-hmm. when you were a college student at you know University of Nebraska Lincoln. Really, not too long after you had had this kind of coming back first to, to faith in in Jesus, and then particularly to your Catholic faith. And I remember when we first met, I think you were in like multiple Bible studies at the time. You were still involved in a Bible study with your non-Catholic friends that had introduced you to the Lord and you were involved in a Catholic Bible study. And then I was teaching a scripture class at the time and you got involved in that. And I think I remember like you were already like, kind of like you were already beginning to express your faith in a missionary fashion i think using facebook i think i I remember like some of the cool things that you would post on facebook and i remember noticing that i'm like man like something like something's going on with this guy and you know we yeah i had a chance to spend a little bit more time together had some prayer together and at the time i was always trying to recruit people to be focused missionaries so (laughs) really i very blessed just that our friendship began quite a while ago and right as this was, was new in your life. And gosh, yeah. I mean, your work here at the Archdiocese, so grateful for the work that you've been able to do. You know, you and I both remember this. I mean, mm-hmm. years ago when, when I, almost 20 years ago now, when I was out as a new missionary fundraising my salary, telling people that I was going to be a missionary, that I was going to be evangelizing, leading Bible studies on campus, they'd kind of smile, but then their eyebrows would go up and they're like, are you sure? Is this okay? I thought you said this was Catholic. It's like, does the bishop know? And then there was this, there was sometimes this, this hesitation or maybe low-level suspicion because the, at the time, evangelization and Bible study and sharing the gospel didn't seem, you know, we, we were, that was before Pope Francis and, and many people had heard, you know, what Pope Benedict and John Paul II had been saying. And so it's, it felt a little bit like a foreign culture. And now, gosh, praise God, we live in a time where evangelization and, you know, and being a, a missionary, missionary disciples, that those things are, those are kind of buzzwords. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been using some buzzwords already in this conversation. We, we talk about like a yeah. conversion engine. Tell us before we dive into this, just kind of like set the foundation for us. What is a conversion engine? What do we mean by that? Just the kind of, you know, short, sweet definition there. Yeah, so I think a conversion engine is really a particular method that a parish uses to introduce people to the core message of the gospel and lead them to entrust their lives to Jesus, right? It's something that's specifically dedicated toward that mission. So it'd be like a ministry or a program or just anything that fosters maybe a series of small groups or a retreat, anything that fosters conversion. Yeah. And actually, as you're telling the story about how we met, I was thinking about the, that scripture study that you, that you led at the Newman Center and how you made a point of scheduling office hours with mm-hmm. uh, with every person in that class where you would 
use that as an opportunity to uh, proclaim the gospel and just in a very simple way ask each person how they would how they would respond to the gospel and that had a big impact on me and so I just even something something like that could be uh, a conversion engine yeah I, I remember you talking about that like at the time I was going through a a second conversion, if you will. You know, I had been a missionary for 10, 15 years, maybe at the time. And I was finishing my master's and I had been deeply impacted by some of the writings of John Paul II and just things like, you know, the general directory of catechesis and some of the documents the church wrote on evangelization. It was part of my study where I realized I wasn't really evangelizing. I, I loved catechesis and I loved the kind of, you know, what the church calls kind of the wordless witness of just making friends and playing basketball and developing relationships with people. But when it really came to the, the heart of evangelization, talking about the life and the promises of Jesus, that was pretty countercultural and it made me uncomfortable. And I really wasn't doing that. I, I loved teaching people about the faith, once they, they made a decision for Jesus. And I love the relationship building on the front end, but that kind of hinge in the middle, that made me uncomfortable. And praise God, the, the writings and some of my study as part of my master's program, and then some missionaries uh, who didn't have those same hangups, who were seeing extraordinary fruit in their ministry, just made me jealous. And so that was part of those office hours. We just, I don't remember whether we went for a walk or whether we just sat down and had a cup of coffee, but those office hours were, an intentional uh, commitment on my part to begin to proclaim the person of Jesus and the promise of Jesus more explicitly. So it's really, yeah, beautiful to see kind of the way all of this has come together. We're kind of there already, but Andy, talk about like, why is a conversion engine needed? I mean, both of our stories kind of hinted that. I mean, I was raised Catholic, you were raised Catholic, yet we both felt a, a very keen need and were dramatically blessed by those who shared uh, the good news with us in an explicit way. Uh, talk about that. Like, you know, aren't we already preaching the gospel at every Sunday mass? Yeah, it's true, right? We do read from the gospel every Sunday, um, but there isn't always this chance for a personal response where, mm. where we can translate the gospel. What does that mean for me personally in the midst of my, my everyday life? And that's something that has to be worked out in a relationship with, with others. We don't have the space for that at mass. You know, we don't have the opportunity to talk mm. to each other in kind of a small group context that's that's safe and vulnerable. That's what I found in my Bible study. Right. 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 There's there's plenty of opportunity for response at mass, but there's not a lot of space for questions. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But yeah, I think it, and part of it is, I mean, the inner nature of the liturgy is such that it assumes conversion. We live in really odd times. I mean, you know, shout out for last week's podcast that Jen Mosher and I did on the, the change of era that we are going through now as we transition from a culture of Christendom to a new kind of apostolic age. We live in this really weird time where even though the mass is designed for those who have had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ and the mass by its very nature assumes or presumes that conversion, it really is no longer a safe assumption uh, to assume that people are at mass because they have a living personal relationship with Jesus and they've entrusted themselves to him, or at least it wasn't yeah. before COVID-19. 
that may be true for those who are brave enough to come back afterwards and dedicated enough to come back afterwards, but it wasn't true before then. Here's a question, Andy, isn't it true that evangelization is everybody's job? I mean, Pope Francis has said pretty clearly, we should all think of ourselves as missionary disciples. Why would we need a dedicated program for evangelization? Yeah, I think it's a good question because it's true that every Catholic, by our baptism, we're called to be missionaries. We're called to be evangelists. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, if evangelization is everybody's job, then in some sense, it's no one's job. If no one's been specifically Mm -hmm. dedicated uh, to that work, then it's easy for that to get lost. Mm. I I just was thinking about how you talked about that scripture class that you were leading and how you had to make an intentional effort to proclaim the gospel in a very clear and simple way, because it was easy for that, even in the midst of your class, that was very uh, evangelical in in nature. You're pointing Mm -hmm. people to Jesus. You're going back to um, the core message of the gospel. Mm -hmm. You had to be very intentional about making sure the gospel was clear in, in the midst of that. And I think we have to carve out that same space and dedicate time and resources to make sure that our parishes are, are doing the same thing. Yeah, well, and I mean, fundamentally, we're undergoing a culture shift. You know, I, mean, I talked about earlier, people would, would look, you know, with a slightly patronizing suspicion when I said I was going to be a missionary or I was going to be preaching the gospel. That was definitely countercultural within the Catholic world 20 years ago, but it still feels a little countercultural now. Mm-hmm. And how do you change culture? You get a small group of people together who have a particular conviction and calling from the Lord, and you let them create a little subculture. Mm -hmm. I mean, that really is, that's the heart of the vision and priorities. Part of what attracted me to the Archdiocese of Omaha is the vision and priorities, one church encountering Jesus, equipping disciples and living mercy. Uh, That's the tagline. But as you really dig into it, the, the vision priority says we want to create a culture of encountering Jesus, a culture of equipping disciples, a culture of living mercy, a culture of unity. That at the heart of the vision and priorities is this awareness that the Lord is really calling us to a culture change. New ways of kind of thinking and being, new things that we kind of celebrate. And man, if you want to ch- change culture, it's really hard to do it without a, some sort of explicit place and time and group of people that are dedicated to it. Yeah, because you could easily be a a lone ranger missionary, right? You're going off Mm -hmm. trying to evangelize and and having some success, but but there's something lacking if the if the body of Christ isn't also there in its fullness, you know, this fellowship of of believers who are exercising their charisms. That that's an that's an essential part to help the people who are being evangelized to find their place within the body. Well I mean, I love that example. Even the Lone Ranger wasn't the Lone Ranger. I mean, he had Tonto and Silver and the old guy in the mine. Like, I mean, just like, there's like, it's just like, it's funny that we just say like a Lone Ranger, but the Lone Ranger wasn't alone. Okay, I digress. Uh, Andy, why don't you, like, let's just, so let's really get into this. Give us kind of a definition, kind of walk through what really is uh, a, a conversion engine? What are the elements that we're looking for in a conversion engine? Yeah, I was thinking about this and I, I wanted to make sure we're capturing some of the, the nuances of what we mean when we say a conversion engine. So this is going to be kind of a technical definition that we're going to unpack throughout this um, podcast. So I would say that a conversion engine is a team of missionary disciples who are commissioned by the parish 
in order to propose the gospel in a relational way to people who are not yet disciples through a sustained and coordinated effort that leads them to entrust their lives to Jesus and begin a life of discipleship within his church. Okay, that's good. Why don't you say that again, and then let's just kind of like dive in piece by piece here. Yeah, okay, so I'll say that one more time. The conversion engine is a team of missionary disciples who are commissioned by the parish to propose the gospel in a relational way to those who are not yet disciples through a sustained and coordinated effort that leads them to entrust their lives to Jesus and begin a life of discipleship within his church. Break that down for us. Break that down for us. What do you mean by a team of missionary disciples? Yeah, I think it's important that we're not defining this as a program. Sometimes we think a lot about programs, you know, the programs or ministries of the church, but fundamentally that means a team. And it's such a key piece of this because it's, this is about leaders who are using their gifts um, in communion with mm -hmm. each other, who have a common mission. And there's something about being on mission together that keeps you focused on the goal and that new leaders can be apprenticed into that culture. You're gonna, because mm. as a team, you're going to go out and try something and it's not going to work. And you're going to come back as a team and you're going to talk about how that went and what were the pitfalls that we just ran into. And there's coaching that happens in the mm -hmm. midst of that. Oh, I love that. I love how you talk about just the apprenticeship element in this kind of building new leaders, because I mean, that, that seems like it's almost every parish and every ministry, youth ministry, religious education. Uh, it seems like there's this huge shortage of laborers. I mean, we, we don't have laborers, we don't have leaders, even at the most basic level, just somebody, you know, to man the meat wheel at the festival. Like sometimes it's just, we're so desperate to find people. And as you talk about this idea of a team and new leaders being brought in and apprenticed, that in part is the anecdote to that pain that so many of our parish ministries and organizations feel is that we just don't have, we don't have people to, yeah. to, to help us. Yeah, we're and, all alone. Yeah, and so if this really is the mission of the church, if the church does exist to evangelize, but that's not our culture right now, then this is something that has to start small. But unless it's a team mm -hmm. approach, how is it going to grow? Right? How is it going to grow and become part of the culture? So that's just a key piece of it. That yeah, this has to be a team of missionary disciples. Okay, what else? So another piece is that this conversion engine is something that's commissioned by the parish. So it's directly connected to the life of the parish. I mean, there are lots of, of, of good evangelical movements. You know, I think about CEC, that's having a great effect in people's lives. And there could be a partnership mm -hmm. between a parish and that movement that would have great effect. We're really talking about the initiative of the parish so that the appropriate resources and energy are, are put into this particular conversion engine. So this is more than just a clandestine, group of people meeting in basements. This is something that has the, the blessing, right, of the pastor, yeah. of the parish. Okay. Yeah, so a communal, it has to be a communal approach to mission. And so there's a clear next step, right, so that the parish is aware, how are we as a parish taking up this call to mission? You know, each of us are, are going to be doing that in some way individually, but there's this particular method, like you said, that has the blessing of the pastor that's receiving energy and resources um, so that it can really be effective. As you say yeah. that, though, I can almost anticipate a problem, right? I can anticipate all the other ministries, all the other, you know, sometimes there's a competition for facilities or for bulletin 
space or announcement space after mass, I can almost hear the other ministries saying, well, well, wait a minute, what about us? Or, you know, like there's lots of different ways that people can encounter Jesus. Why would we as a parish give a particular designation or blessing to one ministry? Can you address that a little bit? Because I think at a practical level, we, we often fail to get started in good things that the Lord puts on our hearts because we can anticipate the, the objections that will be raised. So can you just help people move past that right away? Yeah, I'll take a little step at it. I think one, one reason. No, fix, fix it, Ian. Fix it. <laughs> fix the whole. Okay. I, I, yeah, I think one stab at it is people can come to conversion in lots of different ways. Right? They can come to conversion mm. in, through different ministries and programs. But to have a program that's specifically dedicated to proclaiming the gospel in a clear, uh, and simple, and direct way that leads people to response is needed because it's so foundational to the whole life of discipleship mm-hmm. that many of the other ministries presume that people our disciples who are coming to those ministries. So there has to be something prior that's initiating, that's beginning the life of discipleship that then flows out into the other ministries. Because if you get the conversion engine right, it's only going to be a benefit to all of the other ministries uh, of the parish. They're going to come alive in new ways and be more dynamic. Right. Well, and it seems as though there's a heightened need for simplicity for a ministry that is fostering conversion and an encounter with Jesus, because oftentimes, yes, there will be certainly members of the parish that will joyfully and fruitfully participate, but it really is kind of designed for outsiders. And it's the outsiders that are going to have the hardest time navigating, you know, the the plethora of ministry options uh, that a parish might have. So the simplicity is even, and, and the clarity is even more important because you have people who aren't already members of the community, who, aren't, who don't know how to navigate the community. It needs to be really clear and simple for them how they connect to this community and how they encounter uh, the Lord. Yeah, as an example, there are parishes that have newcomer meetings that have booklets of, you know, the, here are the, the 150 different ministry options you know, as a new parishioner that you can get engaged with in our parish. And I've had people tell me that they just get a deer in the headlights kind of response. People don't know where to begin and they end up in this paralysis. Mm-hmm. So they, they don't end up taking any yeah. action. So we need to really simplify the next step. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's just human nature. I, I think a lot of us, as so much of our, our life has gone online, or if you find yourself just in a shopping scenario, when I'm presented with too many options, I just shut down because it's overwhelming and my mind is not made to process that many choices. Those in, in marketing have, have studied that. It's just a human phenomenon that if, you, if we give people too many choices, they end up not choosing because it's too overwhelming. And that's a bad idea if you're selling soap, but it's a really bad idea if we're trying to, to change people's lives with the gospel. Yeah. Okay, so what else? Talk mm-hmm. about the gospel, because I know that was a part of the definition to propose the gospel. Talk about what you mean by that. Yeah, so we often throw around a, a kind of a fancy Greek word called the kerygma, Right, which is really just the, the kernel. It's the basic message yeah. of the gospel, which I, I love the way that Pope Francis articulates it in, in The Joy of the Gospel, where he says, Jesus Christ loves you. He gave his life to save you. And now he is at your side every day to enlighten, strengthen, and free you. And it's just this very simple phrase that encapsulates the, the mission of Jesus and, and how we relate to him. And it's just, it's very simple and it, it evokes a response. So, I mean, can I just make an observation? 
Andy, that's not rocket science. That's not, I mean, that's powerful stuff, but that's not, that is not up in the clouds. That is not, that's not particularly sophisticated or theological. You're really talking about like the foundation. Yeah. Yeah. And Pope Francis also talks about how you don't need lengthy training, right, in order to preach that message. That's, that's a message that we can all preach. And he, he goes on to say that all of catechesis should be building upon that message. You know, it, it, all of our catechesis should be shot through with the gospel, that message ringing out again and again. Because one of the things that I'll sometimes hear from parishes who are starting conversion engines and end up having a lot of regular parishioners attend is that it's too basic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just too basic. People have moved beyond this. But we, we never move beyond the, the need to hear that message, to hear the gospel in our own lives. It's just yeah. a fundamental foundational message that we need to keep coming back to um, again and again. Well, you know, you say that I'm reminded of a very famous um, letter that Mother Teresa gave uh, to her sisters mm. not too long before her death. She's, again, this is Mother Teresa, founders of the Missionaries of Charity, speaking to her sisters, missionaries of charity, women who've not just like given up marriage and family, not only have they embraced religious life, but they've embraced a particularly demanding religious life. I mean, they're sleeping on mats, they're caring for the poorest of the poor and the sickest of the sick all day long, radically devoted to the gospel. And near the end, she's like, do you know Jesus? No, do you really know Jesus? Do you know how much he loves you, the way he looks at you? And boy, unless you've been in pastoral ministry for a while, that can be kind of confusing or maybe even scandalous. But man, we can never stop mining the riches, the riches and and the significance of that for our life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's so important because I love how you mentioned that our mission is really to the people beyond our parish. Our mission was always bigger than just mm-hmm. the people uh, in, who are in our pews. And so that, right. we have to be, you know, the gospel is an entry point. It's like milk, right, for spiritual infants that nourishes. Mm-hmm. And then there's catechesis that is more like solid food. When people are, when they've responded to the gospel and they, they mature in the life of discipleship, they're ready for solid food. So I think actually one of the quickest ways to short circuit mm-hmm. a conversion engine is to make it a theology class. Oh, okay. So wait, say, say that again. I think one of the quickest, quickest way to short circuit your conversion engine is to turn it into a theology class. And I've seen parishes do this with using Alpha, for example. Alpha has very charismatic preaching all throughout. It, it preaches this basic mm-hmm. message of the gospel. And sometimes people say, well, let's just substitute that message for, you know, a catechesis on, on the sacraments. We'll just really dive deeply into the sacraments. But that breaks what it's trying to, to do and the people that it's aimed at. And it, it's mm-hmm. at a much more foundational level of God's, of Jesus's love for us. I wonder, Andy, if just so many of us who have rediscovered our faith in the Catholic Church, you find this richness of like truth and beauty, everything from the history to the philosophy mm-hmm. to the art, the architecture, the music, like there's an endless wealth of intellectual treasure, particularly if you're a learner. And so it's easy to forget our own spiritual journeys, and it's easy to forget where, I mean, not only some people, maybe they feel very far away from God because they think about their, their sins and their, their past and their mistakes, and they, they think that somehow disqualifies them. 
from a relationship with God. But even more, we now live in an age where the likelihood that that someone who we encounter has had no church background whatsoever. Uh, I mean, that they may not know the first thing about the rituals and routines and even who the person of Jesus is. Uh, I remember the first time I ran into someone who literally sincerely didn't really know who Jesus was. They had heard the name, thought it was just a swear, and if anything, it was like, oh, yeah, I mean, it's like, like Santa Claus or whatever. There was just like no concept that Jesus even was a real historical person. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we, we want to preach the gospel, and we're not afraid to do that. It's not some anti-intellectual thing. We just recognize we have to get the foundation right before we can add in the meat and the richness and the history and the tradition and all the cool catechetical things that, that we want to offer to people many of which are right their treasures for us. Talk a little bit about how that gospel message needs to be communicated from one friend to another. Yeah, I, I think just as you were just talking from this last point, it just I found personally, I've been growing closer to Jesus and just soaking up the riches of, of the faith in, in catechesis and all that. There's also, so there's this, this forward movement, or this upward movement, but there's also kind of a going back to understand my own conversion. What was it like mm. for me to, to discover Jesus? And what were the problems that, that were on my radar at that point in my life? And you know, what, was my, mm. what was my conception of the purpose of my life? So there's kind of a, a need to go back to the beginning and, and meet people where they are. Because a lot of times we don't realize just how far back, just how far back people are. Andy, as you say that, I mean, you tell me if this is your experience. I feel like oftentimes when the Lord brings me into relationship with someone who has not known him or feels far away from him, oftentimes if I'm aware of it and I let the Lord take me back, there is a rhyme between their story and my story that something of what the Lord did for me, there's something similar there. Obviously everybody has their own story, but as I'm taken back to that, my sense of gratitude for what the Lord did in my life and my awareness of how it really wasn't from me. I mean, my own stupidity, I I was trying to walk away from it or I was running as far as hard as I could in the other direction. My awareness of the Lord's mercy and what he did in my life makes my sharing of that so much more natural, so much more sincere. And I'm kind of drawn back again I don't know, it's kind of like, you know, when you go to a wedding, it's, it's hard to not, as, as you see this young couple professing their love for each other, it's hard to not be drawn back to your own wedding day and yeah. how you first, you know, met your bride and fell in love. And it feels a little bit like that. Yeah, that's, that's a great analogy. I love that. I think about, you know, conversion engines where we're, we're gathering groups of people and, and things like Alpha and Discovering Christ have, you know, videos where they're proclaiming the gospel. But there's also this, this small group component. And even in conversion engines that are really effective, a one-on-one component where, where these, where the leaders are just like you're describing, are just very, are, are listening leaders um, who take in the story of the other and they're reflecting on, mm-hmm. um, they're reflecting on where this person is and, and how the message of the gospel directly speaks into the things that they're dealing with. So that this leader who's listening and is really kind of an ambassador of the Lord is able to be a bridge between this person's 
uh, hopes and dreams and fears, everything that's going on in their life, they're bridged from that mm-hmm. into the promises of God so that, that they become real. Like, like the promise of God is for you and your family. And they're, mm-hmm. able, they're able to translate the gospel in a way that can be received to that particular person. And I think that's often the piece that's missing because it can be, the gospel can mm-hmm. seem like a, a faraway thing. You know, if it's preached, it can seem like a nice ideal, but something that's far away. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember, again, I'm flashing back to that class that I, I taught on, on scripture. And I had an opportunity, office hours, to share the gospel with a, with a young lady who, again, she was in the choir, faithful, present. And yet, there was something in her life that was holding her back from giving herself to a relationship with the Lord. And as we talked about it, I was just kind of sharing the, the invitation the Lord gives to all of us to be in relationship with him. And I remember asking, so where would you say you are with that? Is, is Jesus at the center of your life? And she kind of paused and she's like, yeah, I mean, I guess. And I'm like, wait, you guess? And I was actually like, well, do you want him to be the center of your life? And she's like, well, kind of. I'm like, what? what? And then all of a sudden, it just all started to spill out. And there was this, there's this deep fear of like what it might mean if I gave myself to, to the Lord. And, and I was blessed to know her well enough that I was able to speak to some of the insecurities in her life and to be able to point out that there were upperclassmen and women that she particularly admired. And I was able to help her see past the superficials of what was attractive and inspiring about these individuals and help her recognize that what she really admired about them, what, what, what she was really being attracted to in them was Jesus in them. Yeah. Uh, and it was a beautiful moment. It's a, yeah, such a joy, such a joy for me because I had, the, again, a rhyme in my own life that was similar to that. And I was, because I knew her, I could speak to that and, and offer peace and help remove an obstacle that was keeping her from fully entrusting herself. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's right on because we have to incarnate the compassion of God for people, right? It, mm. it, we hear that God is love, but unless he's, he's loving in the ministers of the gospel that I'm encountering, it, it's really hard to believe uh, that that's possible. Like yeah. we really have to be the hands of Peter Christ. As you talk about this, it's pretty clear why the, the first element is a team of missionary disciples. I mean, you're talking about a group of people who know and love the Lord and are really embodying his love in a very personal way to the people that they're in relationship with. I mean, this is not, this mm-hmm. isn't just like, yeah. you know, like open the box and uh, press play uh, on the program. I mean, you're talking about fundamentally, right? The love of God being communicated from one person to another. Yeah. Yeah. People who are willing to, to laugh with you and cry with you and just listen to listen as the messiness of yeah. your life unfolds and be able to speak the gospel clearly into that. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay, what else? So the next piece I wanted to highlight is that we're proposing the gospel to people who are not yet disciples. Right, so Mm. we already mentioned that catechesis needs to be just ringing with that core message of the gospel, but really our, our mission is outward. It's to the people who are not yet believers, people who are not yet part of the body of Christ. And We've referred to this research a lot, but Sherry Waddell and the Dynamic Catholic Institute, Matthew Kelly's organization, say that anywhere between 5 and 7% of people in our parishes um, are intentional disciples, meaning they've, they've responded to that core message of the gospel and entrusted their lives 
to Jesus. So that they start following him in a new way, like you were saying, with him at the center of their life. So you're saying these are people, five to seven percent of registered self-identifying Catholic parishioners, when yeah. they're surveyed and you start to dig into their faith life, yeah. only five to seven percent of them would say yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, or only five to seven percent would self-identify in a way that's consistent with the type of intentionality you would expect from someone who's following Jesus as a disciple. Right, right. That's radical. I mean, I think it's true. I, I think when we really dig into it, if you ask, again, veteran pastors or parish missionaries or people, I think that's true, but I can't get over that it's still shocking. Yeah, yeah so there's this huge huge need. I mean, that means that the vast majority of people that we encounter, even in our, in our parishes, haven't made this commitment to follow Jesus as a disciple. So it's essential, right, that we're, that we're focusing on that group. And that's, mm -hmm. it's, but, it's but so that's much, not the real target, is it? Right, right. Because we, we need to be focused on the outward mission of the church. Because it, otherwise, it's, it's too easy to get insular, to forget our mission, to become self-referential. Okay, so how do you do that? So if we're looking towards those who are not yet members of the community, but there's huge numbers, 95% of members of the community who don't have this intentional, living, passionate relationship with the Lord, how do you reach out to those who are outside of the community without leaving those who are already members of the community behind? That's a good question. I think what I've seen really is just the witness of transformed lives. When we have this fundamental orientation mm. outside of the parish and people are coming into contact with the person of Jesus, sometimes the new converts are the best evangelists. Just the witness of oh, their yeah. lives and how they can articulate, gosh, my priorities have totally changed. And just the ways that they're serving and diving into the community. When those stories are highlighted and, uh, and just every opportunity is taken to permeate the culture, I think it starts to raise eyebrows and it starts to highlight uh, a hunger or a desire for more that people mm. in the pews um, have been searching for. You know, I, I think of yeah. the story of, of a woman in one of my Alpha courses out in Seattle who, you know, she was about 65 years old. And after going through this Alpha course, she said, she said, Andy, I've been coming here because the pastor has been preaching about a relationship with Jesus. And I've seen some of the testimonies and I wanted something more. I've been Catholic my whole life, but now I know why. And it was just this beautiful... Mm expression of, you know, she had seen something, this had awakened something, a, a desire in her heart. Mm -hmm. This was something that she, there was always kind of a desire that was latent, that had been awakened as she was starting to see this new life being infused into our community. Wow, that's beautiful. Let me ask you a question, because I think a number of people listening, again, because you can have a conversion engine in a youth ministry context, or as part of religious ed, or a school, you know, it's going to look different depending on your context. But how would you counsel someone who said, listen, like, I don't want to invite somebody new into our community if those members of the community, or at least a, a large percentage, don't have a relationship with the Lord yet, because I'm not sure how they'll be received and welcomed. Like, how would you respond to those who are saying, like, no, 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 we got to take care of our own people first, make sure they're evangelized, and then maybe we'll get out to the neighborhood and to, to other people. How would you counsel them? Because that, I, I think it's, I mean, spoiler alert, I think it's a trap. I, I don't think that's the right approach, but on the surface, it makes sense. How would you break that down and help people think through that? Yeah, no, I think that is a common, a common feeling. 
and it's certainly easier to to work within a culture that we know and with people that we that we know. So I think that's maybe why we gravitate there. But it's it's too easy to just perpetually elongate the formation that people need. People, you know, there's something about uh, being on mission that is the formation itself. As people are are going out yeah. on mission together and they're as a team and they're trying things and they're having some success, they're also failing. There's a formation that's happening there. And I think I think that's really the best way to form our own people. And it's starting with those who can be formed as missionary disciples who are being awakened to this call to mission. I think it is the best place to start and get them actually trying this, actually practicing. Hmm. Forming people in motion on, yeah, on mission. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes, that makes sense. And it seems to bear out in the gospel. Jesus seems to commission and send people out with, a shocking degree of rapidity, you know, that, that very quickly, I do think about Andrew's encounter and man, but I mean, you get the sense that like days, hours have passed and he's after his brother, Peter, it's like, you know, come and see, you need, you need to come and see this. And that isn't typically the way we've operated. And maybe we can talk more about it later, but I know a number of parishes that have really done work They've kind of discerned a ministry and they have a conversion engine in their parish. They evaluate their success, at least in part, based off the percentage of outsiders that are participating. Yeah. Yeah, that's a huge you know, they want of They want the community. Yeah, they, they want the community insiders to participate, but they recognize they're not where they want to be until they have outsiders participating. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. All right, what, what else? So there's a couple other things. One is uh, that, this, that this conversion engine is a sustained effort and it's coordinated. Really what I mean by that is that a parish is committed to this for the long haul. They're not just gonna switch tracks. I mean, some parishes have switched conversion engines. They'll be fishing from their own pond, so to speak. You know, in the first year, you know, mm. they'll get maybe 100 people from their parish. You know, they're not really reaching outside. And it just kind of dwindles down year by year, and then they switch tracks to another conversion engine. So there's kind of a, I don't know, a silver bullet mentality, rather than this mm -hmm. mentality of a sustained effort toward culture change. Right. And I think that's, that's really what I'm going after there with the sustained effort, is that there has to be some effort toward changing the culture. And that's a long process as more disciples are formed and mm -hmm. leaders are trained for mission. I think, well, and it, yeah. sounds, well, it sounds almost as like you're talking about in integration as well. So not only is it more than just a one-time big event, but there's a, an integration with the other ministries and programming within the parish. Yeah, that's right. I think that's a kind of a coordination piece that all the other ministries, all the staff, all, all the moving pieces of a parish, they have buy-in toward the conversion engine. They could articulate why we have this conversion engine. They would be able to tell a new parishioner, you know, this is where you should start. You're going to get an introduction to the life of our community. You're going to have a, a profound experience. So that's a test, right? So how do you know if you've effectively coordinated and integrated this conversion engine into the life of the parish is that people who are not part of it not only know what it is, but they know the role it plays and they're able to help fruitfully direct people to that as a real starting place in their life as a disciple. Yeah, and there's this belief that it's not in competition with what they're trying to do, but complements the other ministries. So that there's not, sometimes there's turf wars 
right, within parishes where people um, what no <laughs> are you know fighting up fighting over resources, right? This always happens. But if there's mm-hmm. if there's shared conviction about about the purpose of this, that this is really at the core of the purpose of of the church, and that this is going to bring in new people, it's going to bring in new life, and and lead us closer to lead us all closer to Jesus. Um, that's something we can rally around. Yeah. Again, I can relate to what you're talking about there from my campus ministry days. Yet oftentimes, if the focus was a conversion engine of sorts, a particular ministry designed to evangelize using small groups as a means, and oftentimes there was a tension because uh, a group of missionaries would come to a parish at the invitation of the pastor, and some of the other parish leaders, staff or otherwise, would see their beloved students getting involved in this ministry. And at first there was this fear like, oh no, what the heck just happened? I, we just lost all of our people to this new ministry. And usually it would take about a year, one or two semesters. And all of a sudden these people who were now experiencing this renewed faith, not only did they keep singing in the choir, but the next time they came to choir, they brought two people with them. Yeah. You know, and and the, the, the joy and the zeal that happened is like, before long, the ministries were recognizing, like, holy cow, this is our, this is a goldmine for us. Like, all of our new choir members are coming as a result of, you know, having been a, a participant in a Bible study, and they, they came in contact with another choir member in that Bible study, and now I have, instead of one choir, now I've got three more, and it's just this beautiful, beautiful example of where the commitment to prioritizing conversion ended up bearing fruit for every ministry that really, I mean, right, they essentially need conversion as the starting point. Yeah, because it, it, and it also brings forth this, this flowering of gifts and charisms, right? Once people have a conversion, then they're suddenly open to the grace of the Holy Spirit in new ways, and he brings forth new gifts for, for the parish community. Right, well, and that's kind of like, the, I think, the last part of, you know, the, the defini- definition you gave there that this conversion engine is supposed to lead people to entrust themselves to Jesus and begin a life of discipleship within the church. And so to the degree that singing in the choir, participating in the sacraments, that's what disciples do. And part of the reason people don't is because they're not disciples. Yeah. Yeah. So the conversion engine then is kind of uh, an entry point into the, the life of the community. And yeah. because of that, it's really building the culture and reinforcing the culture of the whole community. Okay, so let's, let's shift gears a little bit here. We, we've talked about, you know, there are a number of different things, programs, ministries, retreats, things that can be conversion engines. Let, let's talk a little bit, not every conversion engine is going to be the right fit for a particular parish or community or for a ministry, like a youth ministry or like a, a high school campus ministry context. Just Let's just kind of go through some of those and just talk about some of the characteristics so that people can kind of get a feel for what might be a good fit for their parish or their particular ministry field. Yeah, I think that's good because it's definitely something that needs to be discerned. It's tempting to just look at another parish, look at the fruit that they're seeing and say, oh, well, I can just import that program into my parish. And it's it's not going to work the same way. Right. Um, There's no one size fits all solution. mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess these will be some of the most popular just within the Archdiocese of Omaha, a lot of the ones that we've seen. So one is the Alpha course, right, which is uh, yeah. sort of an, an 11-week course. It has a retreat, 
about two thirds of the way through and it's split up in small groups, right? That have a host and you know, maybe six to eight guests at, at each table. There's kind of informal conversation that's happening and then a video is played that has just really basic topics of the faith. Who is Jesus? Uh, mm -hmm. Why did Jesus die? How can I have faith? Those types of topics. And a, a and, meal as well, right? Yes. Yeah. So the meal is a huge component of that. Um, so guests get to know each other over the meal, just an informal conversation and, and build relationships so that they can have vulnerable sharing later on. So the video is where the church gets to preach the gospel and say what we think. And then there's small group discussion time where the participants get to say what they think. They get to respond. Mm, freely. They get to respond. Yeah. Yeah. I know, you know, as we've talked about this, there's a lot of training that goes, well, I should say it's not the right word, but there's a real intentionality for those hosts and those table leaders to just give people space to process. Because oftentimes, again, if people come from an unchurched background, it's not that uncommon to have somebody say, well, wasn't Jesus and Mary Magdalene, weren't they married? You know, and like, boy, you're good, God-fearing, well-catechized Catholic wants to jump across the table. And just to, to have the ability just to let people express their questions or their concerns, uh, as uncomfortable as it might make us, seems like that's part of the genius of the program like Alpha. Yeah, it really runs against the grain of our, our Catholic culture in some ways, because um, in those discussions, you know, a guest might say, you know, I, actually, I don't really think God is good because of all the suffering that he allows in the world. And it, it can be really tempting in those moments for somebody to start quoting the Bible or start quoting the catechism. And that's... Uh, right, well, to it, feel like we have to fix it. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, instead of allowing them to just uh, work that out with the Lord in their own heart throughout this experience. You know, there's a study in youth ministry that really looked at the faith of young people in crisis. And there's a fascinating finding. They recognize that really doubt experienced by a young person really isn't damaging to their faith. That doubt isn't problematic. That what's really problematic is unexpressed doubt. And I think this dynamic you're talking about is, is very similar. It's like somebody who doesn't believe or isn't sure or has questions, it's the ability to express those concerns or those questions or those wrestlings in a safe place. That's what seems to be so lacking in, today, in today's world and, and sadly lacking in our church contexts. Yeah. And so hospitality is, is key for a lot of these conversion engines, just that um, receptivity to the other. So Andy, talk a little bit about like Christ life, because Alpha was originally developed in a non-Catholic context. It was Anglican, but Christ life is very explicitly Catholic. Talk a little bit about the differences, kind of compare and contrast, because of all of these, those are the two that are maybe structurally and content-wise the most similar. Right. So Christ life is split into three different segments. There's 21 sessions total, but, but seven in each, in each segment. So discovering Christ, following Christ, and sharing Christ. And mm -hmm. participants go through the first segment and, and progress throughout. And discovering Christ really does mirror the, the Alpha Course. There's a retreat. Uh, all, all, all three of these um, segments have, have their own retreat. Yeah, so discovering Christ is very much the same way proposing the, the basic gospel message but it leads into 
following Christ, which is more on, on building the habits of discipleship. How do we pray? Mm-hmm. How do we engage in the sacraments? And then it moves into sharing Christ, which is formation for the mission, for invitations and, sh- and sharing our story. So it, it was, Christ mm-hmm. was designed more for a Catholic audience in mind. You know, there are more Catholic symbols, okay. not, not, not even so much Catholic language, but Catholic symbols, maybe a crucifix shows up. And so it's a little bit more palatable for Sure, it feels design. familiar if someone has been Catholic all their life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whereas Alpha, Alpha is designed, what, what, would, what would you say is the target audience for Alpha? I think Alpha is great for someone who's totally unchurched. You know, if they had no experience of the church whatsoever, there's a lot of, they intentionally interview really secular, really secular people with, with secular perspectives. And so I think, yeah, an audience that is unchurched, they don't have any experience. I think it's, it can be effective in a Catholic context as well, but there might be more initial resistance to Alpha uh, from people in the pews because it feels so different. Alpha is great. Mm-hmm. It, can, it can work in absolutely in a church hall, but also in you know, a brewery or some, you know, kind of secular, secular turf. Well, I know it's being run very fruitfully in the archdiocese in prisons. And that's part of why you're saying that it's the way it's designed. It's designed and it doesn't maybe make the same assumptions and it doesn't have the same symbolism and language that a cradle Catholic might need to receive it. But because of that, man, it's great with those who have no familiarity with that. Yeah. Yeah. So these different tools can be used depending on your your context and need to be discerned in that way. So Andy, I'm just recognizing as we start to, to wrap up here, there's so many other options. There's uh, CEC, which has been going, although not parish-specific, through the archdiocese and has been fostering conversion. And there's opportunities in small groups. And gosh, we, we should do a whole show about how small groups can be a mechanism to, to foster conversion and preach the gospel. How would someone get started? If a parish or a specific ministry wants to get started, maybe give like, what, what are their first steps to get started? Yeah, I think one for sure is reaching out to, to somebody in our office, reaching out to me or you, Jim, or, or somebody else in our office. Yeah. Um, because that's a lot of what we do is coaching teams, coaching pastors and, and parish leaders and trying to decide and discern what is the right tool for my context. Right. Find, find the right fit for, for my ministry, my parish, because I was shocked. The parishes in the archdiocese are very different, <laughs> very different people and places and, and uh, communities. Yeah. And so different tools are going to be right in a different context. And we'd love, love to help you figure that out uh, and, and figure out what your next steps are. I think really what, what that's going to involve is uh, trying to form a team, finding other leaders who share your passion for the gospel, who see the need mm. to reach the lost, to look outside of the parish and be oriented toward that mission outside and really praying that the Lord gives you a heart for the lost and begin the mm. discernment process, ideally with the pastor so that he can, because mm-hmm. this, this initiative, you know, it, ideally it is commissioned by the parish. So it, it's, it's integral to the, uh, the pastor's leadership mm-hmm. as well. You know, it's interesting. Andy, I appreciate that. And maybe that's a, a good place for us to end because we're really not that far away from the Feast of the Sacred Heart. We're, we're not that far away from the, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. And you just said they're praying that the Lord would give us a heart for the lost. That's, I mean, that's why Jesus's heart burns. I mean, he, he burns for love for the lost. 
And gosh, I think he, I think he has mercy on us for, for those of us who feel such a weight and such a responsibility to care, to care for those who are already there, right? To care for the sheep, to, to feed them, to pasture them. That's such an integral part of the commission of pastors and those who share in that role by extension. And yet the Lord's heart burns for the lost. He burns for those who don't yet know him, who aren't yet disciples. Yeah. And I, I know in my life, I, I felt that tension very keenly, but Jesus always seems to attend to my to-do list, the endless job of feeding and caring for and shepherding the sheep. He always seems to attend to that when I attend to his burning desire for the lost. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Andy, thank you so much for, for being here. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your service to the Archdiocese. If you want to continue this conversation, check out the show notes on the Equip blog. You can find it at equip.archomaha.org. There you can contact Andy or I and reach out. We'd love to hear you. Go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss uh, an episode or an update. And uh, God bless. 